So how would you feel if I told you that everyone is religious? Everyone. Uh, that everyone has something, some passion, something about them that they bring their entire mind, body, heart, or soul to. That it can consume us. Philosopher James Smith says this, You are what you love. And ultimately what you love begins to form and shape you. And that same thing you love that is forming, shaping you and I is the very thing we then worship. And then what we worship is what we are religious about. What we bring our mind, body, heart, and soul towards. Everyone is religious. And I know some of you are probably thinking because some of you are contrarians just like I am. So I totally get it. They're like, heck no, not me. I am not religious. And some people say, and I hear this all the time, uh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or, or I hear, I love Jesus, but I don't love religion. Or I came to this church to get away from religion. I'm going to give church one more shot. And I heard this place isn't this very religious place. So, so hear me out. But the truth is we all have something in our lives we treat as ultimate right. That is the North Star for how we live our lives. And we give our time, our days, our passion, our love, sometimes our finances to this very thing that shapes us. And so then, as it shapes us, our thoughts, our desires, therefore our daily habits really get wrapped up in this thing that we say we love, and it really does become a form of religion. I was reading an article right after the pandemic hit, um, and it was, it was one of the East Coast newspapers, and they said, is religion alive and well in America? And the answer was overwhelmingly, yes, religion is alive and well. And why did they say it was alive and well? Because they created a rubric of what it means to be religious. Would you, do you give your time to it? Do you give your passion to it? Do you propagate it and talk about it to others? Do you give your money to it, your devotion? Can it sometimes divide your family? And they said, yes, religion is alive and well. Unfortunately, it is shaped from religion around a deity to religion around politics. And it was a political piece, and it, it reminded me that somewhere in our hearts and our desires, we are religious. Why? Because we are all living for something. What is that something? Family, job, success, your friendships, your passions, your your, your, the things that you do on social media, some of us wake up every day trying to figure out what we're going to post and how we're going to do things. And that begins to, to shape our lives. And some, sometimes we will create a meal in a way that it is picture worthy for Instagram. Instead of what do I feel like eating today? We start wondering what does everybody want to see that I'm eating today? You see how these little things about our lives and these small decisions we make that can seem so small and insignificant really become the habits of our lives and the daily things that we do. And if we're not careful, some of the things that we love, which aren't necessarily all wrong things, they aren't necessarily sinful things, but they get out of whack. 
They get out of whack. And one of our grow pastors, she said this as we were getting ready for this message. She said, we don't necessarily, Julie Carla, by the way, here at North Campus, she's one of our grow pastors. She said this, we don't necessarily love the wrong things. We love the right things in the wrong order. Ever found yourself in that position where this isn't a wrong thing to love, but man, I, I love the wrong thing, the right thing in the wrong order. Reminds me of a, a, a couple I was counseling, and one of their biggest issues was um, for, for her, she was like, I make this incredible meal that had been married about a year, and she was raised a particular way, and here's how you provide for your husband. And she was making these meals, and he's coming home, and he's not really eating them. So as a pastor, I'm like, uh-oh, I'm, gonna about, I'm about to step on her toes. He's gonna, I'm going to get him to admit why, and he's going to say she doesn't cook really well, you know, and I'm going to have to sit here in the middle of this with them. And uh, no, he, he does the opposite. You know what he says? I love your cooking. I love the way you cook. You cook great meals. And so they went back and forth, and it was like, why am I even here? They're having this conversation. And I'm just sitting in the room, and he finally says, yeah, sometimes I'm just not hungry when I get home. And I had this question pop in my head. And I said, well, what time do you normally eat lunch? Because she had mentioned earlier that he goes to work about 7 a.m. Why do you eat lunch about 10.30 or 11? It's about kind of middle of my day. Well, I'm a guy. If I eat 10.30 or 11, I'm hungry by 6 o'clock, no doubt. And so I had to make a decision. Do I ask him the question I know he's going to cringe? I said, are you eating something between 11 and 6? He put his head down. Well, yeah, there's this really good burger joint by my work. And he went on and on about how great these burgers were. I was like, shut up, dude, shut up right now. You are digging a hole. But he was just, I said his favorite burger, and he went to a different place. He went to hamburger heaven. He was just like, oh my gosh, if you could just have the hamburger that I'm eating, you would stop too and have this hamburger. He went on and on and on. And this poor woman sitting there, I'm like, oh God. They're going to leave here worse than when they came in. And I said, you know what? I love a good cheeseburger. He said, see? I said, but the cheeseburger's not the problem. The problem is you're giving up a cheeseburger for the meal that you really want to have, and that's with your spouse at home. And that's like a light bulb went off. He had never seen it. Some of your ladies are like, how did he not see it? I don't know how to describe the science. I can't help you on that. We get blinded by a good burger. I'm sorry. It just happens. See, he didn't love something that was wrong. He loved it in the wrong order. And there was a challenge. And they worked through it. And they were fine. It became a funny story later on. And yet, we get told sometimes these phrases like, put God first. What does it mean to make God a priority? And, and I know my mom and dad did that for me. I mean, I've shared stories with my dad always telling me, my, you know, God's first, then your mom, and the best you're ever going to do in my life is third place. I was like, thanks. Love you too, dad. And he's watching right now, and I hear you, dad, and I understand exactly the sentiment and the heart behind it is God as a priority, and I think that is super important. But is it truly realistic and helpful as we try to grow spiritual lives? 
As we have a growing world that is crazy, throwing things at us with schedules and finances, the economy, interrelational things. And now we have access to the world, in the modern world, 24 hours a day. We are being bombarded. If you forget to turn off your alerts, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And you now get alerts from the things that you watch. And you don't have respite or a break And so here you want to put God first and yet your phone or your computer or the people in your lives are always alerting you to number two and three and four and five and 25 on the list. So what does it truly mean to prioritize God? What does it mean to live a whole life with our mind, our body, our soul and with God? So consider this. In your own heart and mind, consider making an image of a wheel where God is the center and your priorities surround it. What does it mean to have God at the center? How do we rightly order our loves, right? And I want to use that word really intentionally. How do we rightly order our loves? Don't downplay it. Don't downplay it, sir. We know it's week two of the NFL. And you all of a sudden woke up and wanted to come to the early morning service. And your wife's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, let's go to breakfast. We'll even go to coffee. Like, we will do coffee? You're going to pay for my $6 coffee? Yes, I don't mind paying for your $6 coffee. We're going to go to the 915. I'm going to be at peace because I will be home by noon. All right? And some of you ladies are really broken hearted right now. Sorry to burst your bubble. See, how do we rightly order our loves? Let's call it what it is. With God at the center. So what does this image look like for you? You're seeing it on the screens. What does this image look like for you if God is at the center and you are honest with yourselves about what your loves, what your priorities are around that circle? Some of you look at this circle and you see five or six things up there and you're like, gosh, I think I have like 25 things. Okay, be honest about it. Be honest about the things bombarding your life, your family, your relationships, your business. Put those priorities there and let's be honest about it because how do we address these things? It must begin at the level of our habits. The things we do habitually in our lives or our rhythms and practices. How do we keep God at the center? How do we work to insert God at the center of our lives? It begins by the way we live our lives on a day-to-day basis our rhythms and practices. You know, for weeks now, we've been sharing the story of Moses to Joshua and the, and the people of Israel. These are God's people who were in slavery for hundreds of years. And now they find themselves in the desert and they're making their way to what's called the promised land. A couple of generations have gone by now. And, and now as they're getting ready to break ground, to, to finally go into the promised land, God is trying to prepare the hearts of the people. He's trying to get them future ready, which is the name of this series. How do we become future ready? And he's trying to prepare their hearts and prepare their lives, prepare their families, prepare the culture that they live in. And here we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. And he says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord Alone, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all of your strength. This is known as 
the Shema, or Shema, or some people call it Shema. And this is, this is language where it says, hear, O Israel. It's the same as saying, I want you to listen, because hearing and listening and listening and obeying are all the same thing. They're all synonymous. These are more than just sounds that, hear their, that hit their ears. The Shema, when God says that, it is listen with interest. Listen with your whole heart. It is though you are sitting now in, the, in, in, this, in this inspired service or you're watching at home or you're listening later on and somebody speaking says, I want you to lean in. And everybody sits up and you lean in. It's that kind of listening that they were considered the same. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's how it was in real life nowadays? We found this meme, we put it on the screen. Can you imagine if you, you're talking to somebody and you stop mid-conversation mid, mid and you say, did you hear anything I just said? Not just a kid, but the person says yes. And then you say, what did I say? And they're like, uh. And that's just not parental relationships. That's, that's with our running partners. That's at work. That's the people that we lead. That's if you're a school teacher. That's, you see it all over the place. We're so distracted because we don't really understand that hearing and listening for God are the same thing. If you hear me, if you hear my words, it should pierce your heart. It should cause some sort of action. So if you go back to the Shema, this was the command that God wanted for his people. This anthem for these people as they're building a new culture, breaking out of the culture of being in slavery and lack and generation after generation being enslaved. Now they come into freedom and he's trying to teach them how to walk in freedom. And that freedom comes by being grounded in their love and obedience to the one true God alone. That the one who delivered them is the one who wants to be with them. I mean, do we really understand this concept? That God wants to be our source. God wants to be the source of our life and to be future ready and what lies ahead and legacy for us and those that we say we care about. If we're not careful, we will tend to turn to God only in our time of need and not truly proactively preparing ourselves for what's to come. So how do we keep God at the center of our lives, the center of everything we do? How do they, as the people of Israel right here in Deuteronomy, do this? By beginning at the level of their habits. At the level of their habits. And I want to pause real quick. This wasn't in my notes, but as I was praying this morning, I was like, God, something about this isn't, isn't hitting me right. What is it? And, and as I prayed about it, for me personally, when I hear this word habits, it's like, oh, are we trying to do behavior modification? Is that what we're talking about? Behavior modification? And, and here's the truth. It actually depends on the posture of your heart. See, if we posture ourselves to say, well, I'm going to do one, two, three, and four, and five so I can gain favor with God, then yes, it is behavior modification. If the posture is our heart that I love God, I believe in God, I, be, I believe he sent his son Jesus to die for me, and in that death, in that great exchange, I offer my life as a living sacrifice, and because of that love, and because of a growing relationship, it's causing me to change one, two, three, four, and five. That is not behavior modification. 
That is lining up to God's desire for our hearts and for our lives. And only you know the difference. I don't want you to change your behaviors. I don't want us to say we're going to be a church that does one, two, three, and four, and five really well. I want us to hear it as though it is the Shema that when God speaks, we listen. And because of our desire to line up to him, it causes our actions to line up with who he is. That is not behavior modification. That is shaping and formation. And there's a big difference. It goes on in verse 5. Of Deuteronomy, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And this is God teaching his people how to have relationship with him. And here's what the Shema reveals. Really two things. One, there's only one God. That's what God's really trying to to really establish. Only one God. But here's the second thing. Loving God does not come naturally. Loving God in the sense that we're talking about. I love God so much, or I believe in God with my fullest heart and mind and soul that it's going to cause the rest of my loves of my life to line up so that God is at the center of all of it. That does not come natural. How do you know that? If you have nieces or nephews, little brothers or sisters, if you have children of your own, that kid will betray you for a candy bar every day of the week. My new favorite commercial on TV is the little boy and his mom who go to the movie theater and the guy welcomes them and he says, the snacks are right behind me. And the little boy says, no, the snacks are in my mom's purse. Right? It doesn't come natural. It's something we have to work and shape. And God is trying to build his people to understand this. Because just like hearing and obeying were considered synonymous, so goes loving and acting. If hearing God and obeying God are the same, so is loving God and acting and living out our lives as though we love God. You ever heard the phrase or the term Christian atheist? It's somebody who confesses and professes a God that they love or they believe in, and yet there's nothing about their life that lines up to it. We come in and we worship. You might sing. You might raise your hands. You might give. You might serve. And yet, outside of Sunday, outside of the time we're together, does our life look like the one that we profess it's a challenge and the Shema reveals it does not come natural but there are choices we get to make to line up to God's word to line up to his heart for us these words we say a lot I wish want you to listen to them our heart your spirit your soul also your mind and then your strength your body all imply a wholeness, a completeness. What you do with your physical, what you do with your mental, what you do with your spiritual, it's a wholeness that God wants to to be at the center of. And it is a challenge, and it's easier said than done, but here's the truth. If we want to live whole lives, if we want to live whole lives, Centered around the love of God, it must begin at the level of our 
habits, the things we do daily. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 says this, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Hashtag go public with what you say you believe so that when you go public, you now have a standard you and I have to live according to. Does everything about our lives line up to the things that we proclaim? This is what God's wanting for his people. To really encapsulate everything about your life is consistently lined up to who God is. And let me tell you where we've gotten this wrong in the modern world. And I, I want to own this. Right? I think we try to fight this here at Gateway Church, but it can happen. You can have what's called church creep. Right? The culture. And here's what happens. We assume because we're doing something for a church or an organization, that we do it as unto God. We do it as unto God, and the outflow of, outflow of that is what we do in our faith community. It's a big difference. And so that's why when somebody in the church hurts you or I, when somebody in a group speaks a word that we don't like, when a pastor says a message that really hurts us, we then cancel the local church because our heart was lined up maybe more with the church than it was the God who established the church. We're going to mess up. We're going to say things. We're going to do things maybe that you don't like. Maybe the truth, it might be something that we have to correct. But I will tell you, if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, we walk in so much grace with one another. Did you know that? But if my eyes are fixed on you, then I'm looking for you to mess up. I can't wait for you to mess up. And that's what's being challenged here, is that, that our entire life is centered around God, not gateway. It's getting really quiet in here. Right? Because there's truth because it's easier to center our lives around gateway because when we leave the building, we can bring separation. And when we center our lives around God, he is with us and his spirit guides you in all truth and righteousness. So everywhere you are, God is with you and you cannot separate yourself from that. And neither can I, even though we try. God is that so here they are, covering their homes, covering their words, covering their families, covering their kids. And these habits are to ensure that they're future ready for the promised land that's coming. Some of you say, man, this is really extreme. And I'm glad this commandment's not for me. <laughs> I'm glad I live in 2023 and I can just give my 30 minutes or my one hour a week and I'm good. Got my checklist done, came to church. I put $10 into giving. I maybe said hi to a few people. Isaiah said high five five people. I high five seven. I went above and beyond. <laughs> and then we're going to live the next six days and 23 hours as though God isn't at the center of what we're doing. So here's, here, here's the challenge. Matthew chapter 22, the Jesus trying to get, they're trying to trip up Jesus, these lawyers, these religious people. And they say this, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? 
And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. See, he is quoting Deuteronomy. So it wasn't just an Old Testament belief. It was also a New Testament belief that Jesus was absorbing into the new normal, into the gospel, into the truth of who he is, that this is still the greatest command. Philosopher James Smith says this about it. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, performs our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. And then Jesus goes extra. As a second, equally important, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Gives him two commandments. Why? Because as we love others, that's how we love God. How we treat others is a reflection of how we treat God. You can't, I can't help it. Once a month, I kind of bring up Michigan football. I'm not talking about Michigan football. You know what I'm talking about today? There was a guy going really slow on the road this morning on the way to church. And I'm preparing my heart to speak, trying to stay pure. And it's a red truck with the Ohio State sticker. It's like, God, you are just challenging me today, aren't you? And he was going really slow. Re- I mean, really slow. I was like, no, well, kind of like your team, I guess. And so I had a decision to make. Why are all my decisions right when I'm driving? I don't know, right? And I gave him some space, and I waited till there was two lanes, and I was going to go right past him. Sure enough, he started going. And I began to ask myself this question. It wasn't God. I was asking myself the question. Who cares? You're going to potentially go past somebody, honk at somebody, ride the bumper of somebody because of the sticker on their truck? This is a reflection of my habits. What I think about, what I'm passionate about. How do we keep God at the center so that Michigan football, Texas football, Dallas Cowboys, right? Or the loves of our life do not take over at the center? We do this by not compartmentalizing our love for God. We let it consume us. Because if we don't, here's what we're going to do, this checklist. Okay, God, you can have my finances. I'll trust you. I'll start giving. I'll make a difference. But I'll be in charge of my sexual habits. I'll give you my time at church, but the rest of the week I'm going to spend on my own free time doing what I want, binging what I want. I'll devote my career to you, God, but I'm not going to hang onto this unforgiveness towards my coworker. And then, God, you can have my singleness, you can have my marriage, but I'll keep my thought life and my porn addiction. See, we begin to live this duplicitous life, and there's no room for duplicity. God wants a consummation of everything. He wants to consume everything. He wants to be in us, through us, wants us with him. He wants this relationship where there is, we're just one with him. He's at the center of it all. So let me ask you, if people saw into your life and saw the details of your life, what would they say you and I worship? What would they say the religion of our life consists of? Matthew 6.21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you this morning? 
with the treasures of your heart. That if God were to be at the center of your life and, and shine light onto all of our loves and all of our priorities, what would come out? And does that question make you feel fulfilled? Or does that question deplete you because you know the answer? Augustine says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And if we want God to be at the center of our lives, we must begin at the level of our habits. So here's what I want to do for a couple of minutes as we close. I want to talk about this practical part. If there was a challenge of, is God the center of your life? What does that mean? What does that look like? The second part is, how do we then live this out? And and we're going to go really fast because we've actually created a resource for you we're going to talk about here in a second. And here is what I want to challenge you on. A rule of life. How do you develop and discover, discover, develop, and grow a rule of life? And here's what that means. A rule of life is a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world for us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. To live life to the full, quoting John 10.10, in his kingdom and in alignment with our deepest passions and priorities. It's an organization called Practicing the Way. And what is the way? People were known as following the way early before Christianity because Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. So those who followed Jesus were practicing the way, the life of Christ. A rule of life doesn't box us in. It actually sets us free. Margaret Gunther says this, a good rule can set us free to be our true and best selves. It is a working document, a kind of spiritual budget. Not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but never restrict us. It's you and I putting a little bit of effort into saying, this is what my life looks like. This is how I want to live my life with God at the center. And all my priorities and everything about my life being influenced and being touched at the center by God. And this structure is very similar to a trellis. I'm just learning what a trellis is, right? I know what it is, but I didn't know it was called a trellis. It is a guide for the vines and plants life to grow in a particular direction and it's really beautiful I don't want one because it looks like a lot of hard work right so I don't want one but some of you like them and a trellis helps guide things to a particular direction and we don't worship the trellis the structure you know what we do we find hope and life and freedom in the thing that grows around the structure the true life in Christ And a rule of life is like a trellis. It guides us based on our our particular issues of our life. Maybe maybe you're co-parenting with an ex. Maybe you're a grandparent raising grandchildren. All these things that make your situation different, that's why a rule of life is great for us to really be challenged. What does it mean to keep God at the center? A rule of life is not the end, but the means by which we grow in our love for and towards Christ. It considers your time, your talent, your finances, your work, your relationships, your hobbies. Hobbies are important. I was trying to play golf all summer, but I couldn't enjoy it because it was 107 degrees outside. I'm so excited. Why? Do you know one of my hobbies I love to do by myself, and I don't have my phone, and I'm not talking to anybody. I love to walk a golf course. I'm by myself for four hours. I might be frustrated about half the time, but the other half, I get to spend time with God. For every bad shot, God, you know what? It's better to be golfing than somewhere else right now, right? 
See, some of our hobbies we look as a distraction. You know, maybe right there in your hobbies and your interests is where God's going to meet you. So we consider all those things. So here's a graphic we're going to share on the screen. It, it looks really cool because it was made by one of our graphic designers. It's his, Jeff. Jeff, it's actually his rule of life. So if you look at this graphic, look, he's talking about what's relational, spiritual, physical, financial, and missional for him. And under there are his passions, things that he loves. Look, you see the Gateway logo. You see that one star over there, whatever that is. And uh, yeah, Cowboys. And uh, missional, how's he doing life by life? Like, look at how he's mapped out his life. You see how fun and interactive this can be, but it includes the truth of your loves and passions for your life. So what we did is we were able to uh, gain one of these uh, tools. And we're going to talk about that here in a second, but here's a few ground rules I want to give you as we dive into this. And we ask you to dive into. Maybe you'll do it in your group. Maybe you do it with, maybe you do it with your teenager. Or if you're a teenager, ask your parents to sit down and create one for your family, for you. Here's the ground rules of crafting a rule of life. Number one, start small. Don't start where you want to end up. Start with the right next step. What is the right next thing for you? Number two, be specific. Look for practices that are practical, concrete, and embodied. Not vague and ideological. Things you actually do. Don't put on there, oh, I love, just love, my, I love my coffee time if you don't even drink coffee. Like, just put what you already do. Number three, keep a healthy balance of structure and spontaneity. We want you to be creative with the whole thing. We want you to love it. We, God wants to be part of, it sounds weird, listen, God wants to be part of your playtime. You hear stories of people saying, I was on a hike, or I was just having a good time, or I was playing golf. Man, God began to show me something, or I started sensing something in the spontaneity. Leave room for that. And then number four, remember that a good rule is a working document. It's dynamic. It's not static. Life is a moving target, and so is your spiritual life. We want everybody to engage us. So here's how you do it. You go to gatewaychurch.com. And forward slash digging deeper. It's at the very bottom of our homepage, gatewaychurch.com, at the very bottom, digging deeper. And on there, you're going to see a tool, a template, a resource for a rule of life. We want you to do that. We want you to, if you have a running partner, somebody you're doing life with, do that together. What is a rule of life for you? Because our goal is that God would be the center of everything we do. We're going to close here in a second. I'm going to have a question for you, but... I want you to know that following God, exploring God, taking steps to believe in God, taking the next step to follow Jesus, that next step of God being the center of your life, it always costs us something. And if you've ever, if, you've, if, you've, if you're mature enough to understand this, I hope you do. Sometimes when you're going to the next season of life, it costs you something. Sometimes you have to leave a job to get the dream job. Sometimes you have to move across the country like so many of you have to have the life that maybe you envisioned. It always costs you something. And God is this great gardener. See this trellis we were talking about trying to grow things, but God prunes things he loves so they can grow. What part of our life today is God trying to prune? What is, there, what is something in this season that you know God wants to prune so that he can grow you in the next one? Be honest about what that looks like. 
Malachi chapter 3 calls God this, this refiner's, he's the refining fire. And that can be scary. Sometimes people use it as a weapon. God's a refiner's fire, but actually it's a beautiful thing. Why does God want to be a refiner's fire, one who prunes, one who separates? Because there's actually gold and silver and treasure in you that sometimes gets marred by all of the dysfunction of our lives. And sometimes going through the fire helps us realize the beauty, the gold, and the treasure that God's already placed in you. And we've allowed so many things to distract from that very thing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song. As we sing the song, I want you to stay seated. I want you to, and I want you to answer this question for yourself as they lead us in the song. And then we'll close out today's Inspire service. Here's the question. What are you offering to God today? That you already know off the bat, if God was at the center, this is an issue or something I would have to realign. I would have to lay down. So as we sing this, ask yourself, what am I offering God today in his refiner's fire? Let's listen to these.